Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. You guys feeling good? Yeah. Are you really? You guys, I'm so excited. I'm so flipping excited about what God wants to do. I asked Jesus if he would wreck you, and he said yes. But you have to be willing. Pastor John this morning is, uh, we have some friends who pastor a church in Lincoln, a church called Mercy City. It's a phenomenal church, so if you're from Lincoln, go to school in Lincoln, go check it out. But they went on sabbatical. They needed uh, a, a break, and so they had reached out and, and asked Pastor John to, to come and speak, and so he said, babe, would you share this weekend? And I said, yeah, of course I will, whatever you need. And then I started looking at our reading plan. If you're just joining us today, this year we've been going through a chronological Bible reading plan. And wouldn't you know that this week in our chronological reading plan is only the biggest biblical history week in the, entire, the entirety of it. And so I'm like, yes, of course, I'll preach. This week we had a big week. We covered the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And if you're wondering how we're going to cover all that today, we just did. If you want the details, read your Bible. Because this morning we're actually going to be in Acts chapter 2. And before we get there, I just want to set the stage for you. Acts chapter 2 opens with the words, on the day of Pentecost. Somebody say Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Pentecost is actually the Greek word for the, the festival of weeks. And this was a, a festival, a celebration that was established back in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 23. And it was designed to be the celebration of the early harvest. Why does this matter for us this morning, angel? Because it gives us a timeline. Because Pentecost took place 50 days after the Passover. And remember, the Passover is when Jesus was crucified. So it's been 50 days since Jesus was crucified. It's been 43 days since he was resurrected, and it's been about a week since he ascended into heaven. And among some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, we find in Acts chapter 1, he says this. He says, fellas, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want you to try, if you can, this morning to put yourself in the place of these disciples. Because it's been a heck of a few weeks, right? Like a lot has taken place. And, and can you just imagine the roller coaster of thoughts and emotions and just with everything that has, has taken place, with everything that has gone on, you wake up every day really not knowing what to expect. One thing you know for sure is that this man that you've followed for the last three years, this man you've come to know as rabbi, as teacher, is without a doubt the Messiah the hope and the savior of the world that you've been praying and waiting for. This is the same man that you've walked intimately with for the last three years, day in and day out, watching him love really the unlovable, the cast-offs of society, watching him heal the unhealable, 
Watching him do the impossible time and time again. You've watched demons manifest in your presence only to see them cower at the authority of the one that you call master. The same master who just a few short weeks ago, in his innocence, was horrifically beaten and mocked and marred and murdered before your very eyes. And yes, he rose from the dead just like he said he would. And yes, he ascended into heaven. And before he did that, he appeared to you randomly over the next 40 days. But the last time you saw him, you actually watched as he was taken up to heaven in a cloud, a cloud you stared at for so long and so intently that God actually had to send some other heavenly beings to snap you out of it. Hey, hey, fellas, fellas, what are you staring at? Jesus is gone. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He'll be back someday. Someday. That's what Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says. He'll be back. He'll return someday. Well, someday? Someday? How long is someday? What do you mean someday? You guys, you have to understand. These disciples were of the same generation that just came out of 400 years of radio silence. For 400 years, there was nothing, not a whisper. For 400 years, it was just their obedience to the law, to his word that kept them hoping and waiting and praying for the Messiah. And now he, he was just here and he was nothing like we expected, but he was better than we expected all at the same time. And every day in his presence just left you in awe and just left you longing for more and wanting more. And it feels like things only just got started before he was ripped from you. But then he was back again, but now he's gone again, gone this time for how long? Someday. Someday. How long is someday? Will it be 400 years again? God, please don't let it be 400 years again. See, I had never considered what it must have been like for his disciples as Acts chapter 2 opens. I had never considered how they must have just longed to be with him. Not only have they just went through the, the, the horrific nature of the crucifixion. But now, just the absence of his presence, their journey was so unique in that they dwelled with him, something probably only Adam and Eve can understand. You know their story. God dwelled with them in the garden, but then sin went and ruined all that. But now the disciples, they've dwelled with the presence of God, and now he's gone. And how they must have just longed for his presence, longed to be with him. And that's where we find ourselves in the text this morning, waiting for this promised gift of the one known as the Holy Spirit. Let's read about it in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Church, let's pray together this morning. Jesus, I've asked that you would come and that you would wreck your church. God, in whatever way that pleases you, would you fill everyone with your presence? Would you fill this place with your presence? Would you fill our lives with your presence that we might never be the same? In Jesus' name. If that's your prayer this morning, say amen. amen. You, okay, you asked for it. Ah, <laughs> oh, you guys, there's so much. There's so much I want you to know about the Holy Spirit. There's so much I want to teach you. And I know that I can't do it all today. So this is a shameless plug. Listen, the Holy Spirit is such an integral part of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ and the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we have dedicated an entire discipleship term to learning and getting to know who this person, the Holy Spirit, is. Listen, the next time that term will be offered is right after the first of the year. So if you just have this desire, this hunger to know more about him, we're actually going to offer that on Wednesday night and Sunday morning, because I know some of you can't make Wednesday nights. So that's going to be offered twice. When that registration term opens, reserve your spot. Spots are limited because space is limited, but you will not be sorry. It is a phenomenal discipleship curriculum. But for today, because I know that I could never in one service share all that there is to share, I've chosen four. Four truths that I believe if you will truly receive and walk out, that your life will never be the same again. Four truths about this promise of the Holy Spirit. And the first truth is this. The promise was about the presence and not the power. What? Did you just read what I read, angel? Tongues of flame and fire. Listen, we'll get there. But it's so important that we begin with this truth, that the promise was about the presence and not the power. How do I know that? Because when it comes to God and his people, it was always about his presence. God was always making a way to dwell among his people, from the garden, to the cloud, to the fire, to the law, to the tent, to the tabernacle, to the temple. He was always trying to make a way to be with his people. His desire is to be with you. And I don't know if because Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a gift that we forget that the Holy Spirit, just don't realize that the Holy Spirit is actually a person. But let me show you. In John chapter 14, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Other translations read that word helper or comforter, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Not it is, but he is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't know him doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later he will 
be in you. This is such an integral truth to lead with because when we don't understand this, when we don't understand the presence or the person of the Holy Spirit, we chase the power or we chase the gifts without understanding that, listen, the Holy Spirit is literally the one who makes our constant communion with God possible. John chapter 14 and verse 19, he goes on to say this, soon the world will no longer see me. He just said the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples, his believers. Are you a disciple? Okay, just making sure. Soon the world's no longer to see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, he's talking about a time period. He's saying when this happens, this is what we're talking about right now. This is where we're at in the story. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my Father. And if you know that, here's what you can else you can know, that you're in me and I'm in you. He was literally telling them, when you can no longer see my face, don't doubt my presence. Know that I'm still with you. Why does this matter? Because when you encounter the presence of Jesus, like for real, everything changes. You can never be the same again. I was having lunch with my parents this, this past week, having a birthday lunch with them. And for those of you who don't know me, when I say my parents, I'm actually referring to my mom and the man that she married when I was 18. His name is Curtis. And if you have the privilege of knowing this man, you know that he is one of the most humble, God-fearing men that you will ever meet in your entire life. He changed my life. But I was having lunch with them, and I was just sharing with them, you know, what, what I felt like God was laying on my heart to share with you. And they actually run a, a division of Teen Challenge, which is a program for, for people who are trying to get out of life-controlling issues. And so a lot of times we'll just we'll lament together, like, I just want them to get it. I just, that, that's my heart for you, church. It's never that you would be good people. I don't care if you're good people. It's that you would get it, that you would be wrecked by Jesus, that you would know how much he loves you, that that love in his life, his presence would change you. So we're having this conversation. And Curtis just was sharing about the first time that he had ever encountered God's presence for real. And it just stuck with me. All week, I just kept going back to it. And so much so that I called him yesterday morning, and I'm like, you have to tell me the whole story. I have to know everything. And then when he was done, I was like, okay, now I have to share it with other people. Is that okay? And he said, yes. He said, Angel, use my testimony any way to bring glory to God. So he was telling me this story about the first time that he encountered the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was in jail. He said, I was in jail after months of being on the, on the run. He said, I was running from the law. I was caught by a bounty hunter. So this is not just like, oh, you got a few unpaid parking tickets. Like bounty hunters were after him. He had a laundry list of criminal offenses, drugs, fraud, theft, burglary, all kinds of things. He was a heroin IV user for, for years. And so like just the man has some stories, right? So the law has finally caught up with him. He's sitting in this jail cell. And he said, one day I was reading this magazine. And in this magazine, there was this article about the Big Bang Theory. He says, as I'm reading it, I just thought, this is a load of crap. There's no way this is real. I know God is real. And he said, in that moment, the Lord quickened his spirit. He didn't have that language then. But the Lord quickened his spirit, and he was reminded of a time as a little boy. He had a grandma who always prayed for him. Grandmas never stopped praying for those babies. But he had a grandmother who prayed for him, and he remembered one time praying a sinner's prayer. 
So this Big Bang article quickens this in his spirit that God is real. Over the next several weeks and months, he began to get his hands on, on Bibles and different books on faith and on God. And he said, Angel, slowly but surely, the presence of God invaded that cell, invaded my life. One of his cellmates had gotten out, and when he left, he left him a little transistor radio. One of the only stations that he could get service on was this station that had Bible teaching on it. And he said, so I just, I listened to it, and I could not get enough of it. Something in me came alive. He said, so much so that I was laying on my bunk in my jail cell one day, staring at a cinder block, all the details. He said, if I close my eyes, I can still see this cinder block. He said, I was staring at this cinder block, and I thought to myself, man, it doesn't get any better than this. And at first, I'm like, wait, are you messing with me? Like, are you being sarcastic? And he's like, no, angel. I had never felt the peace and the presence of God as much as I did in that moment. He said, so no, I'm not messing with you. I thought to myself, Man, it doesn't get any better than this. And this is it, you guys. When we really encounter his presence, it changes everything. But when we don't understand that, we pursue the power. We pursue the gifts. We make it about what I can get. We use him. Have you ever used someone? You guys are so quiet. I've used people. I've used people for lots of things. I've used people for money. I've used people for rent. I've used people to take me out to eat. I've, I've used people for rides. Do you want to hear a really embarrassing story? So when I met John, just, just so you can, you can judge me when you leave, it's fine. <laughs> when I met John, I'm older than him. So um, he was 15 and he could not drive. Okay. So I had gotten grounded, and it was like one of those like partial groundings where you're not grounded from everything, but like part of my grounding was I could not leave the house. But I could have people over. Well, the one people I wanted to come over was this 15-year-old who could not drive. So what my broken, hot mess, dumpster fire of a self decided to do was use another boy who I knew had a crush on me to go pick up this boy that I had a crush on and give him a ride to my, I, you're disgusted, aren't you? Listen, I'm just keeping it real with you this morning. I have used people. I've used people for attention, for affection, to meet any need in me. Because when your soul is bankrupt enough, when you are desperate enough, you will do things you never thought you would do. You will become a person you never thought you would be. So yes, I've used people. Have you ever been used? Oh, now you want to participate. <laughs> yes, Pastor Pet Me. I've been so used. You've used people too. Like, but we've been on the receiving end of that too. We've been used. I've been used for all kinds of things. Things that because my children are in this service, I'm not going to say out loud. But I've been used. That feels horrible, right? Nobody likes feeling used, feeling like, I know you don't care about me. I, don't, I know you don't actually want to be with me. It's not about spending time with me. You're just here so you can get what you want. You're just in it for what I can do for you. You guys, when we chase the power, when we chase the gifts, we're using 
God. There's a story about this in Acts chapter 8. There's a man, his, his name was Simon the sorcerer. And prior to coming to know Jesus as the Messiah, the Bible actually talks about the fact that he often wowed people with his magic. This was a dark magic, a demonic magic. And so he, the, the, the disciples come and he actually hears the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, comes to believe in Jesus, is baptized. And then Peter and John show up on the scene and they start baptizing people with the Holy Spirit for them. To be, they start laying hands on them to be filled with the Spirit. And this is what happens. The Bible says that when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Simon didn't, didn't want the presence. He wanted the power. He chased the power before some of my charismatic friends start losing their mind, thinking Dream City is going to become one of those churches that quenches the Holy Spirit, the, the gifts of the Spirit. Listen, stop. Can I just tell you, let me be very clear. The power wasn't the purpose of the promise, but it was the proof. Let me say that again, church, because you need to know this. The power was not the purpose of the promise, but it was the proof of the promise. How do you know that? Acts chapter 1, let me show it to you. But when you receive, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power. The power was the evidence that what was happening was in fact the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That what those in Jerusalem that day were witnessing was foretold and can be explained no other way than a move of God. Peter had told them in verse 22, he said, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth. How did he do that? By performing miracles, signs, and wonders through him. You killed him, but death couldn't hold him. We're all witnesses to the fact that he raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Now he's exalted in the highest place of honor at the right hand of the Father. And because he is who he said he was and he did what he said he would do, the Father has followed through to his word and sent the promise, which is the Holy Spirit. That's what you're seeing right now. The power was the proof of the promise. This isn't new to Acts. Jesus said this in the Gospels. In Luke, he said when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power from heaven. In the Gospel of John, he said all the things that you've seen me do, you're going to do greater things. In the Gospel of Mark, he gets specific. Let's see what he says. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. No, thank you. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. That's why that Mountain Dew hasn't killed you boys they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed this is the power the proof of the promise Jesus was letting them know look we got a job to do and the harvest is great but the workers are few but guess what guys I got it on good authority that the same one who released this power when I walked I went to my dad and I petitioned the throne of heaven for you and I said dad you know how when I went to earth fully as a man but still in perfect communion with you and you decided it, 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 it pleased you to show 
our perfect communion through your power, the miracle signs and wonders. Yeah, you know that? You know how these disciples now believe in me because they believe in me now. They are in perfect communion with you. I'm just wondering if you would do the same thing through them, show my power through. And he said, yes. So that's what he's telling them. If the power is the proof, what should our response be? It should be the same response that it was that day in Jerusalem. Peter had stood up and he had told them, here's what's going on. Everything I just told you, that's what Peter told them. And then let me show you what happens. What was their response? The Bible says Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, bro, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those who are far away, all who have been called by the name of the Lord our God. What that means is that if his power was the proof of his presence in their lives, shouldn't it also be the proof of his presence in our lives? What I mean by that is your life should prove his presence. Your life should prove his presence. If you have done what Peter told those guys to do, if you have truly repented of your sins, and I'm not just talking about, I feel really bad about my life choices, and I feel really guilty that I got caught, but no, true repentance. If you've truly turned from those things and turned towards the only one who can save you from those. If you've been baptized as this public declaration of that and filled with the Holy Spirit, then your life should look completely different than it did before. Church, if it doesn't, will you be among those on the day of judgment who hears, depart from me? I never knew you. Please hear my heart. This is not an indictment this morning. This is an invitation. An invitation to honestly evaluate your life and consider this question. Does my life prove the presence of Jesus? I don't know. It's a pretty big question, Angel. How would I know? So glad you asked. Galatians 5 gives us the rubric. But the Holy Spirit produces proof, evidence, okay? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit is the byproduct or, or the evidence of his presence in our lives. And it's all outlined right there for us in his word. Please hear my heart. I am not presupposing that you come to the altar one day and you wake up perfect the next day. Okay, that, that's, that's unrealistic. Colossians 3 tells us that we learn to put on our new nature as we get to know Christ. So I understand it's a process, and it's going to take time. But do you know what the word baptism actually means? To baptize you in the Holy Spirit means to immerse. That means to, to completely engross in or be completely engrossed by. That means all of you should look a little more like Jesus every single day. Not just your Sunday selfie. Every part of you, the words coming out of your mouth, should sound a little more like Jesus today. Your habits 
your attitude, your marriage, your search history when the sun goes down and nobody's looking, your thoughts, your emotions. Guys, I want to show you something. But, it, but if every part of me should look a little bit more like Jesus every day, this idea that I can be wrought with anxiety and depression. Listen, darkness and light cannot coexist. Let me show you something. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 28. This is actually a prophetic word that was given in the book of Psalms by David. Peter is now recounting it because it was a prophetic word about Jesus. So this is Jesus speaking about God, being in the presence of God. Are you ready? Okay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. The original translation of that scripture says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. I'm going to say something before you get offended and leave. Just hear me out, okay? I think that the greatest indicator of the absence of his presence in the church is not the absence of miracles. He releases those at will. It's not the absence of speaking in tongues or prophecy. The greatest indicator of the absence of his presence is the prevalence of chronic mental disorder in a spirit-filled church. Listen, listen, listen. Before you get offended, please hear my heart. Depression and anxiety are not illnesses. They are normal responses to living in a fallen, broken world full of sin and loss and rejection and failure and abandonment and trauma. They're indicators, but even more than that, they serve as prompts in our spirit of the invitation back into his presence. Angel, are, are you saying that God causes me to have panic attacks or be depressed? No. 2 Timothy 1.7, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So no, he doesn't cause those things, but he does allow them because he's masterfully created you with this alarm system that goes off when you're hurting. And rather than looking for the fastest way to silence those alarms, we should press into his presence and find out why are they going off. If you have an alarm system in your home, Let's say it's the middle of the night. The alarm starts blaring and going off. Are you just going to reach over and like an alarm clock snooze it? Absolutely not. You would get up in your skivvies and go out into the dark and find out, why is this alarm going off? Why? Because something is threatening the safety of the presence that you're dwelling in. God in his omnipotence, in his omniscience, knew Listen, they're going to need reminders when they've strayed out of my presence. And so he allows those alarms to go off to invite us back to his presence. Why? To find healing, to find truth, to find comfort, real comfort, not just something to suppress or numb whatever's hurting in you. As someone who has, has battled her fair share of of depressive and anxious episodes, complete with antidepressants and panic attacks and self-sabotage. Can I just tell you, in full transparency, on the other side of every single one of those periods in my life, 
when I was willing to do the hard work of pressing into his presence, he was asking for one of two things, obedience or trust. Obedience or trust. Listen, when his word says, you'll fill me with joy or in your presence is the fullness of joy, this is so cool, you guys. This is how ridiculously savage God is. That word joy is literally translated a well mind. What if you could have a well mind and not just a numb mind? Guys, I'm not saying that, that we do the churchy thing, right? And we all turn into to, to Pleasantville NPCs. If you don't know what an NPC is, ask the teenager next to you. But what I am saying is let's roll up our sleeves, fully abandon what the world has to offer, and live lives that prove his presence. When that happens... When your life proves his presence, when you are wrecked and changed by the presence of God, you will quickly learn the importance of protecting his presence. How do I protect the presence of God in my life? The Bible gives us two warnings. Don't quench the spirit and don't grieve the spirit. There's lots of ways that you can do both. For the purposes of today, we're going to focus on two, sin and self-reliance. Don't quench the spirit and don't grieve the spirit. Let's take a look at quenching the spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says, do not quench the spirit. That word quench actually means suppress. All throughout scripture, the Holy Spirit is, is characterized by a fire. And so this, this idea of quenching the Holy Spirit literally give, gives this connotation of this picture of extinguishing or suppressing or not allowing him to come to fullness of power in and through your life. The easiest way to quench the Holy Spirit in your life is self-reliance. I got this. I got this, God. Can I just tell you something today? You don't got this. You don't. You don't. I heard someone say once that the reason we don't see more of God's power is because we're operating too much of our own. Somewhere along the way, we came into agreement with this ignorant idea that if we just struggled hard enough and long enough to figure it out by ourselves, we were going to stand back and God was going to be like, wow, wow, you did it. You guys, no, you're missing it. If you were made by him for him, and his word says that he must increase, which means you must decrease, then the goal is not to struggle and strive along, long enough to, to, to strive in our own power, but it's to thrive in his power. But when we quench his spirit, that's exactly what we're doing. We're striving. We're trying to manifest or control in our own strength, in our own knowledge. A lot of times, not quenching the Holy Spirit just means yielding to his power at your life. It just means stepping out in faith and responding in obedience. That sounds so easy, right? We were in a Wednesday night prayer service one time. This was a few years ago. And there was a young woman up here, and she was worshiping, and she just happened to catch my eye. And this is a young woman that's been with the church a long time. Family's been with us. She's married. Walked with her for a long time. And the entire time I had known her, she'd been struggling with infertility. And walked with her and talked with her and cried with her and prayed with her. It had been years. 
So I happened to, to see her this particular Wednesday evening. And the Lord told me, I want you to tell her that her time of waiting is over. I was like, absolutely not. No, I am not doing that. I'm like, God, what if I'm wrong? What I was really asking is, God, what if you're wrong? But he's a nag. I don't know if you know the Holy Spirit, but he is a nag. And so he would not stop. Angel, I want you to tell her that her time of waiting is over. And I'm like, God, okay. But if you want me to tell her that, you're going to have to confirm it in your word, right? Like I'm feeling super spiritual. You have, to, you have to confirm that in your word. So I did what any super spiritual mature Christian would do. I got out my Bible app on my phone and I read the verse of the day. The verse of the day, just, this is how, God just pokes fun at you. He's like, okay, okay, angel. The verse of the day happened to be Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of our heart. And I looked up this woman worshiping and he said, angel, that is delight. So I said, okay. So the service was over. Went up to her. My hands are shaking. My voice is shaking. I'm crying. I can hardly get the words out. It's like, God just told me to tell you that your time of waiting is over. And I just cried with her, and I just prayed with her. That was in the fall. The following summer, they had their first baby girl. Listen, everything in me that night wanted to quench the Holy Spirit, wanted to put him in my nice, safe, like maybe I'm not going to look stupid box. And we do that all the time. The Bible says that the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to edify the body. What does that mean? It means to build up, to encourage, and to bring glory to God. The glory belongs to God. I love hearing stories about his power at work through the other humans in my life. My sister-in-law was telling me this story yesterday about this woman whose kids were killed in, in a car accident, her oldest and her youngest. And she said, Angel, I encountered this woman, and she was so full of joy. She was telling me her story about she had lost her kids in this car accident. And I, I just began to, to grieve for her and cry for her. And the woman said, don't. Don't grieve for me. They're not gone. I know I'm going to see them. That's a gift of faith. How many of you know that does not come natural in our flesh? But I'm encouraged when I see the work of the Holy Spirit around me. I'm encouraged when I see his power. I'm encouraged when I'm in counseling or I'm writing something. And all of a sudden, there's this, this ridiculously smart thing that I say. And I'm like, dang, that was good. <laughs> you know why I'm encouraged? Because I'm not that smart. And I know it. I don't have a Bible degree. I didn't go to seminary school. I didn't even grow up in church. You know how I learned Bible stories? Reading them to my youngest boys in a, in a picture Bible. I'm so serious. This is the truth. They were little, two and three, and we, we read this just colorful book of stories. And I'd read it in this kid's Bible to them at night, and I'd be like, huh, I wonder if that's in my grown-up Bible. <laughs> sure enough, I would go to the grown-up Bible, and there right before my eyes is the power of the living God that wants to dwell in you and work through you. Why am I telling you this? Because you don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a leader or a man. Come on. He fills you with his presence to manifest his power here on earth. And the more you come to know him, the more you trust him, and the more you're willing to yield to that power in your life. Are you tired? Are you tired of struggling in your own power, in your own strength, just white-knuckling it to get through Sunday? In your own understanding, in your own knowledge, do you protect his presence 
Or are you quenching it, playing it safe, coloring within the lines, allowing doubt to drown out his voice and ultimately his power? Some of you this morning need to stop quenching the Holy Spirit, but some of you need to stop grieving him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Exactly what you think it means. It means to make him sad, to cause him sorrow. Well, how do I cause sorrow to the Holy Spirit? Again, lots of ways. We don't have time for all the exhaustive list. But the easiest way to grieve him is sin. Why? Because unrepented sin separates us from his presence. And church, you need to understand the reason that grieves him, the reason that makes him sad, causes him sorrow, is because he is consumed with love for you. You can't protect his presence and protect your sin. You have to choose. And can I just tell you, whatever sin you're protecting, Whatever sin you're hiding in shame or you're afraid to bring out, you're afraid of the, you're getting hustled. You are. You're getting hustled, and it's not worth it. You're getting hustled in the lies. You're getting hustled in the lust. You're getting hustled in the unforgiveness. You're getting hustled in the addictions, the pride, the hatred, the bitterness, the gossip, the slander, the dishonor in your hearts. You're getting hustled. You're getting hustled out of the presence of the one who you were created for, who would do anything to dwell with you and flow through you. You're getting hustled. These things will harden your heart to the presence and the power of God in your life, and it's not worth it. Repent. Scripture tells us that repentance actually brings time of refreshing. We have this idea, again, another stupid idea that we have in the church, that repentance is for the world, right? It's for those, those, those messy people that stroll in off the streets. I would submit to you, repentance has more of a place in the life of a Christian than it does in the world. Why? Because we know better. Because we've encountered the presence of the living God. They're still starving for it. You know it. And you, and you surrender it by protecting your pride. It's not worth it. I repent all the time. When I don't repent, listen, a mark of a, of a, a mature Christian is to look inward before I look outward, right? When I feel separated from his presence, when I feel like I can't hear his voice, the first thing I ask myself, God, have I grieved you? Do I need to repent? I, I was repenting at six o'clock this morning before my feet even hit the ground. I'm not like saying that as a pastor. I'm like literally, he was showing me some things I was complaining about and I repented. Why? Because I love his presence. I will protect his presence. If we understand that repentance protects his presence, we can lose our sanctimonious flags and stop viewing it. I did that once when I got saved 23 years ago. And instead we can view it as a lifestyle. When you're worn out, when you're weary, when you're stagnant in your relationship with him, 
Do you need to repent? Do we live lifestyles of repentance? Are we protecting his presence? Stand with me this morning, church. As a courtesy, I want to remind you, you said it was okay if Jesus wrecked you. Anybody change their mind? Okay. Did you guys love sound mind? Sound mind for a spirit of fear. I am a terrible singer. I love that song. The team is going to come back. They're going to lead us in that song. Listen. Do you need to encounter his presence today? Have you ever encountered his presence? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you weary? Are you stagnant? Does your life prove his presence this morning? I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. It's just you and Jesus. Let's do a heart check, Dream City. Search my heart, oh God. I offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto you. This morning, if you need to encounter his presence and you're for real, I'm not gonna leave you comfortably in your seats because I believe, again, you have to yield to that power. So if you are desperate for the presence of Jesus today, if you're tired, you're worn out, you're weary, you're operating in too much of your own power and not enough in his, I want you to come down to this altar right now. Just begin to come, step out. Step out in your surrender. There's so many more of you. You're tired. You're struggling. You're battling even right now. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go because my husband's not gonna go. I'm not gonna go because what are other people gonna think? He wants to meet with you today, church. He wants to pour out his spirit so that everyone present will be filled with his presence. That's my prayer for you today. I'm gonna have my prayer team come even now and just begin to lay hands. The Bible said, listen, that as the, the, the apostles begin to lay their hands on those who had repented, received Jesus, that they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so right now, as my small group leaders, my, my, my prayer warriors, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, come down here and begin to pray. You walk in the same authority, begin to pray and war with your brothers and sisters. Today, Jesus, we need you. We're not willing to leave this place wrestling with things that you already paid for on the cross. Listen, this song says he saved, he healed, he delivered me. Do you need to be saved? Do you need to be healed? Do you need to be delivered today of something? Something that's holding you back. Something that is literally sucking the life out of you. A sound mind for a spirit of fear. Is your mind wrought with fear? Are you struggling with anxiety day in and day out? Are you struggling with control? Are you quenching the Holy Spirit? He's here. He's here today. Begin to lead us in that song. Father, I just pray, release your power today. Pour out your spirit among sons and daughters.
God, I pray that your presence would fill this place. I pray that you would release power like you never have before. I pray that you would release miracle signs and wonders. God, not because of anything we've done or earned, because it's who you are and it's what you said you would do in your word. You are a man of your word. Release your power in this place. We're gonna begin to pray. The rest of you just lean into worship. But if you need to come down, the invitation, the altars are open. Be filled with his spirit. Walk out in his power today, church. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things. Helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. We hope that this message helps serve one of those three goals. And we encourage you to check out our past sermon series and online classes, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ.